John 14, go down to verse 12. This morning I wanted to look at greater things. And Jesus is talking to his disciples and um, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Let's pray. Father, it's so good to be in your house. It's so good to come aside and worship you, Lord. Help us this morning to put the cares and the troubles of the world aside so that we can focus on Jesus, so that we can lift him up, so that you may bless us with your presence and with your word. Father, uh, help us to hear what you'd have us to do today. Some need to accept Christ publicly as our personal Lord and Savior. Some need to join this church and put their commitment here, their work here, their lives here, and join by baptism or statement or letter. Some need to come in surrender. Some need to come in rededication. Some need to place their burdens at the foot of your cross this morning. But Lord, you have your way with us. We are the sheep of your pasture. We come to you for life. And Father, we just thank you for the day. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, we come to this passage this morning. If you didn't realize it, this passage is part of what uh, scholars say is the upper room teaching or the upper room discourse. Uh, By that they mean from John chapter 13 through the end of John chapter 16, Jesus is really instructing his disciples on what's coming up, and he institutes the Lord's Supper, okay? But we need to remember that, that these disciples didn't come for the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper. They came to celebrate Passover. They didn't have a clue of what all Jesus was going on. It was a time of celebration. Their ministry had been tense. They had faced increasing criticism from the religious leaders of the day, hostility, open hostility. And yet, they thought Jesus would still carry the day and that he would usher in the new kingdom because they believed that he would be God's Messiah, and he was. But in the midst of that, Jesus turns their world upside down because he tells them he's going away. He's going to die, and on the third day, he's going to raise from the dead. That shocked them. Think about it now. They had followed Jesus for between three and three and a half years now. They placed their faith and their hopes that he was going to set up the kingdom. And he says he's going away, that he's going to die, that he's going to be crucified. What's going on? Their hopes are literally being squeezed, crushed right before their eyes as he teaches them. In his prophetic stuff, he not only says that he's going to be uh, die, but that one of them, one of the chosen twelve, the apostles, would betray him. You find that in John thirteen twenty one. He goes on, tells him he's not long for the world. And when Peter says, "Oh, if everybody else," he says, "No, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows." We know all of that happened. You see, into that gloominess that fell upon there. Jesus, here in these verses, gives some rays of hope. His mission will not be a failure. His mission will be completed. His mission will be handed off to us. 
You see, Jesus uses us to continue his work. Now, there's a lot of things we're going to say about that, but you need to realize Jesus uses you and Jesus uses me to continue the work that he started all those years ago. So I wanted to notice two or three things about how it's going to be victorious. First of all, notice the promise of Jesus in verse 12. What a promise. Most assuredly, that means most truly, you can bet on it the way we would say it. You can take it to the bank. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. You see, Jesus made a promise to all who have accepted him as their personal Lord and Savior. This promise is not for those who are lost. This promise is not for those who just casually know about Jesus. This promise is for those who have a personal relationship with him by grace, through faith, and repentance of their sins. He said, if you believe in me. And believe there is not an intellectual assent. Believe there is not just a casual wink or a nod. Believe there is to place your life on him. That he is correct. And it includes each and every Christian. He says, he who believes in me will do the works that I do. He says, and greater works than these because I go to the Father. It wasn't just to the apostles. It wasn't just to the preachers. The promise is to every believer. Now, I want to pause here and I want you to understand something. Works never save us. But true faith always has works. Do we understand that? We need to remember that. You remember what it says in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of works. It is the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. Verse 10 goes on and says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. God knew we were supposed to do works. You see, that leads me to point A. True believers share Christ's work. He said, look, if you believe in me, whoever believes in me, that means all of us. It includes everybody that knows Jesus as Savior. See, whoever believes in me is all-inclusive. That means you. That means me. That means little kids. That means old folks. That means teenagers. When you believe, we share in Christ's work. It amazed me that Jesus just assumed his followers would work. Did you hear that? He He didn't give an option. He assumed we would be obedient. He assumed we would do the work that he left for us to do. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. You see, true believers share in Christ's work. And point B would be the believer's greater works. You see, what kind of works are we supposed to be doing? Works like Jesus. Jesus said in Luke 19, 10, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. That's what we're to do. He said, all authority in Matthew 28, on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go ye therefore into all the nations, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm with you, teaching them whatsoever commands I've given to you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age of the world. 
That's the works. That's what kind of works. But he goes on and says, and greater works. Now that made me stop. Greater works than Jesus? I had to scratch my head. Greater works than Jesus? What did he mean by greater works than Jesus? Jesus is unique. Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. He is the Messiah. He is God's only well-loved son. How can we do greater works? The best I can explain it is this. You see, they're not greater in power. You understand that. You're not going to be able to touch somebody and heal them of leprosy. You're not going to raise the dead. I'm not going to walk on water. I've tried. I sink. I don't float. I sink. Okay? So we're not going to do that. So what was he talking? It's not greater in power, but it's greater in this way. First of all, it's greater in scope. He said to the ends of the earth. Okay. You realize Jesus, because of his humanity, going to be in one place at one time, and he limited his ministry to Israel where he was sent. So the Jews first, then to the Gentiles, just as Scripture said. So it's greater because his disciples took the gospel to their known ends of the world of their day. They turned the world upside down for Jesus. So it was a greater scope of that work. Not only that, it was greater in the numbers. Jesus is one person. He can be in one place at one time. Everybody, that's pretty plain. But after he ascends to the Father, after he is crucified, after he's buried, after he raises from the dead, after he ascends back to the Father, the Holy Spirit comes. He promised us that the Holy Spirit, we would know him because he would live in us. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit would work the works of God through us. And we could be everywhere. And the Holy Spirit would be everywhere that we were. So it's greater in the numerical. Okay? Not only that, but he goes on and, and you see it, it, it's greater works in the sense of God using sinful men. Why would God use us? We are sinful. I mean, I can understand him using Jesus. Jesus didn't have a sin. Jesus was all powerful. Jesus was the son of God. Jesus was well loved. He set the example. He is the one. Say amen. Give his name some praise. Come on, y'all. Come on. But to use me, a sinful man? It's greater works that God could provide our forgiveness and can use even cracked pots. Some of you are cracked pots. Just like me. So it's greater works that, what a blessing. What a miracle that God would use somebody like me and God would use somebody like you. It's greater works. Of course he could use the son. The son was in perfect obedience. I have yet to see a human in perfect obedience other than Jesus Christ. But he uses us to accomplish the work. Greater works. Wow. My question this morning, are you sharing in the work? Okay. Are you committed to his church? Are you a member? Do you know where your membership is? Can you be counted on? Well, I don't think I have to be a member. You don't have to be a member. You don't. But if you want to be obedient, you better be a member. He said, this is my church and I will build it. How is he going to build it? Through the work of the Christians committed to the local church. One difference between attenders and members, commitment. They didn't like that, Brother Gary. Who can be counted on? Well, I don't think their church did that. Yeah, they did. What do you think they said that one time Peter preaches and 3,000 were saved, one time Peter preaches and 5,000 were saved? They put your name on the roll after you were baptized. Sounds like a Baptist church to me. 
We'll put you on a name and a lot of stuff if you let us. But we need to ask, are, are we really involved in the work, the kingdom work that Jesus left for us to do? Are we impacting our community? Are we telling others about him? See, he left us to do the work. And we need to remember that promise is for us. But the second thing, consider the presence of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 12. Consider the pre- I mean, yeah, verse 12 again. The presence of the Holy Spirit. He says, greater works than these he will do. Notice, because I go to my Father. That's sort of a key there. The Holy Spirit could not come until Jesus ascended back to the Father. Then he sent the helper, the paraclete, the one called alongside of us, the one who empowers us. To help us do the work. Jesus went into heaven and all the glory was his once again. And all the accolades. I can just see those bowing in heaven at what he had done for us on the cross and raising from the dead. Father said, this truly is my son in whom I am well pleased. And he's at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. And he didn't forget us. He didn't leave us alone. He didn't leave us as orphans. He sent the Holy Spirit. See, John chapter 7 has a little bit to say about that. Let me read it for you. John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day of that great feast, the day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit had not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And yet he goes to the Father, he's glorified, the Holy Spirit comes. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit that enables us to do the work. Think about it. The Holy Spirit teaches us the truth. You want to know the truth, you want to understand your Bible, before you start reading it, you pray. Holy Spirit, please help me to understand. Teach me your word. I want to learn of you. Now, does he teach us the truth? He enables us to live obediently. We could not live to the standards of the Christian life if it weren't for God's Word teaching us and the Holy Spirit indwelling us and empowering us to live correctly. You have some problem areas in your life? Don't admit it out loud. I'll say I do. But you see, it's the Holy Spirit that helps me overcome those and live like I'm supposed to. You see, he helps us resist temptation. Can't say the devil made me do it because the Bible says no temptation has come to you except that which is common to man. And God has made a way of escape that thereby you may resist or you may stand. The Holy Spirit helps us to resist temptation, to endure hardship. See, we haven't known much of persecution yet. i got to slow my... Mine down so my tongue can catch up. Yet all around the world, our brothers and sisters in Christ are persecuted on a daily basis. There's going to come a time in America, you can mark it down, where to be a Christian, you're going to have to be a real Christian. There ain't going to be none of this pretend stuff or sitting on the fence or trying to hide it. It's going to be hardship. But it's going to be worth it. And the church truly will grow during times of persecution. It has all through the years, through the centuries. So he helps us do that. And then he helps us do these greater things. The work that Jesus has entrusted us as his followers. Again, some questions. Are you obeying the Holy Spirit? 
when he leads you to do something or you responded to his call? Can you hear or is there so much sin and clutter in your life that needs to be cleaned out and you need to ask for forgiveness so that you can hear the Spirit in your heart and in your mind? If you say, I don't know the Spirit, then I want to know if you know Jesus. Because the promise is he is the earnest, the down payment of our salvation to assure that we are. The most pressing question that God asked me, because you just get some of the leftovers of what he's convicted me of, is this. When was the last time that you knew the Holy Spirit directed you to do something? You knew beyond a shadow of a doubt you were going to do it. Or when was the last time you did something and then you realized it was the Holy Spirit that placed you at that moment of time in that situation? He does that for us to accomplish kingdom work. And if it's been a while, we need to ask why. If it's never happened, we ought to be scared. See, you remember Jesus' promise. He who believes in me will do the works that I do also. And greater works than these because I go to the Father. In other words, I go to the Father. The disciples know if he goes, he's supposed to send another comforter. They didn't know that. The Holy Spirit hadn't yet come. But they believed. So we have... The promise of Jesus, we have the presence of the Spirit, but we also have the practicing of our faith. Just consider the practice of our faith. Look at verse 13. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. When I say practice the faith, it's really living out our faith daily. My father-in-law used to say, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's the proof of the pudding in the pie. If you don't know how important pudding is, eat a bad pie and you'll understand. Some of that make pies understand exactly what I'm talking about. But you see, he said to them for the first time, you'll pray in my name. Always they prayed in the Father's name. Now we're to pray in the name of Jesus. Did you get that? We're to pray in the name of Jesus. So we're to pray. Repeat it. We're to pray in the name of Jesus. But what does that mean? I'm going to give you a couple things it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we have this long list of wishes or long list of wants. And we come before God and we say, in Jesus' name. It's not a magical tag. We just put on something to get what we want. Now, I'm not saying we don't be in our request before God. I want you to hear that. But some things we might ask for would go directly against God's will for our lives. And then we try to stick it on there. In Jesus' name, God. In Jesus' name. And we know it's not what God would have for us. That is sort of an obscene prayer. If it goes against God's word, it's not God's will for your life. So it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean we're worthy. For all the blessings he showers upon us. There's only one name given among men that is worthy for God to answer prayer. And his name is Jesus. And when you pray in Jesus' name, here's some things it does mean. It means we're praying for things that would please Jesus. We're praying for things that, that, that reveal his character in our lives. We're praying for things that are in accordance with His will, that line up with His word. We're praying specifically for the glory of God. You see, I hate to reveal this to you, but the real purpose of prayer, now you're getting ready, 
the real purpose of prayer is for God to be glorified in our world. Does it mean he won't answer our prayers? Yes, he'll answer in miraculous ways. He blesses his children like that psalm I said. He's our rock. He's our refuge. He's our shield. He's our shelter. He's our peace with God. Well, y'all need to get excited now. Some of y'all are a little too scared of the coronavirus. We got the guy who's immune to that. We pray in his name that God will be glorified. God is glorified according to John 14, 31. God is glorified through the Son. And when we pray in the name of Jesus, we are to work, we are to worship, and we are to win the lost because that's what Jesus did. Did you hear it? We're to work, we're to worship, and we're to win the lost. Those kind of prayers, God is going to be glorified. The last thing I want to say about praying in Jesus' name is this. Pray expecting greater things. Pray expecting God will answer with greater things. Don't, don't, you know, don't be like... uh, the guy who grew oranges in Florida and he lit all the fires and got the fans because it was supposed to frost that night. He got down on his knees and for about an hour he prayed, God, just, just don't let it freeze my crop. Lord, we need a crop. We've got to have this crop to carry on. Lord, he got up the next morning and there's frost everywhere. He said, I thought as much. He didn't believe. You know, the old man who called the prayer meeting for rain and, and they got done praying. He said, fellas, where's your umbrellas? He brought his. See, you pray expecting greater things. You see, there's some words there that we need to look at. And whatever you ask, whatever. Do you know that that means nothing is excluded? Whatever you ask in my name, nothing's excluded. And then, then he goes on and he, he, he does another word. He said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. You see... Everything's included. So nothing's excluded. Everything's included according to the will of God that we would glorify Him in our prayer lives. Just to bask in His glory. My goodness. Brother Gary, you're getting a little weird on me. I want you to think about when you were saved. Just for a moment. Yeah, I got time. And then think of where you are now. Can you believe how far God has taken you at this point in your life? What God has done in your life to change things. What God has done to bless you. Can you believe what he's done to you? He saved me as a rebellious kid. An awful person. A sinner by nature and by choice. He saved me as one who lived on the wrong side of the tracks. He was poor. He lifted me up. He's provided everything I have ever needed. He gave me more than I ever thought. The first person in my my family to go to college. I had no knowledge of college. I just knew that my pastor took me aside and said, If you're going to do this and be committed and make it through, you've got to get an education. And so I went, not knowing what I was going to do or how to pay for it. And God paid for it. And it wasn't cheap. See, I started attending a church in Hot Springs with my aunt and uncle. 
And I went through that first year of college and worked my way through all four years of college working full time. So don't tell me it can't be done, kiddos. You don't have much. Elizabeth says, you don't have any mercy. I said, no, I don't. If I do it, they can do it. But after that first year, I was just, man, it took every penny, every nickel I could make. I was exhausted. That church that summer, now think about it, that church that summer set up a scholarship for one of their former pastors, a pastor emeritus, O.C. Bayless. And they designated it for any ministerial students from their church first. It paid everything that I owed except my books for the rest of my schooling. It was taken care of. While there, I walk into a freshman level class as a senior. And there's this little red-headed girl sitting there. Or I'm sitting there and this little red-headed girl walks in. No, she was sitting there. I got to get the story straight. Hi, how are you? My name's Elizabeth. <laughs> and she bats her eyes. And I thought, danger, Will Robinson. Freshman wanted an MRS degree. And then I sat down, got to look at her, and said, man, I should have sat by her when she invited. She's cute. So after class, I flirted a little bit. Then it was twerp week, and she found the biggest twerp on campus and asked me out, and then she was trapped. And she has been, other than my salvation, the greatest blessing in my life, my soulmate. But God put us together because she was going to another school. And God worked in her heart that summer and had her transferred just to meet me. She didn't know that, but it wasn't for her. It was just to meet me. <laughs> and keep going on. The girl's born at 28 weeks. A little over four pounds apiece. In the ICU unit for a month. Not a single problem did they have. You would never know they were preemies. When they presented me the $50,000 bill, I liked to choke and there just happened to be a chaplain at the Methodist hospital that was walking through. And he saw the look on my face. What's wrong? I told him. And I don't know how I'm going to pay it. I'm a seminary student. I'm pastoring. That's, that's, I'm working at the landscaping. And, and I, I just don't know. I can't pay all this. He said, just, just give me that bill. Give me your name. Okay. He said, I'll get a hold of you later. He took it to the board of directors. They were having a meeting that afternoon. They wrote, wrote off every bit of it. Okay. Our God is able to do great things on our behalf and through us. Why anyone would come to hear me preach, I don't know. Don't stop. <laughs> but I don't know. But for some reason, God reaches out and touches people. It's despite me, not because of me. God can do greater things through you. Than you ever dreamed. Make your prayers big with God. Amen. As Dwight L. Moody told his sons as he was dying. He said. If God is on your side men. Enlarge your plans. Greater things. Would you bow your head and close your eyes. Are you hungry for greater things? Greater things in your spiritual walk? Greater things of usefulness to God? Greater things knowing your life counts for something more than the everyday humdrum? Greater things to experience and know your God in that special way? Greater things because your heart is hurting? Greater things because life is falling apart? Greater things because you need Him? He wants to do those greater things. For some, that means surrendering to Jesus Christ 
publicly as your personal Lord and Savior. For some it means coming in rededication. Not that you've been out doing bad things, but you need to get closer to Him. For some it means joining this church. Standing up and saying, I'm going to be counted on. I'll commit to this church however you want me to join. By baptism, letter, or statement. For some it means surrender. Life's worries have beat you down so much you don't know how to look up. And you need to come to this altar and truly leave it with the God of greater things. I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you to stand. Brother Ronnie's going to start singing and you come as God wants you to come. Father God, we all have things in our lives where we need a great God. And you are that great God. Work in our lives. Hear our prayers. Be glorified above all else. And have your will with us this morning. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.